Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The first scripture reading for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. Young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked him where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went, and looked, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And because they they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Our front porch in Dexter is perched on a huge expanse of northern and western sky when it's not shrouded in the drab grays of winter. And the heavens in front of us produce a panoramic display of the stars. One of the great joys of living in the Midwest in Michigan is the dark night sky and the stream of meteor showers that we've witnessed of late. The Labrador retrievers I'm often out walking with at night are unimpressed by the heavenly fireballs. (laughs) But I am starstruck, literally. Last January brought a chilly display of the Quarantids, 
April brought the Lyrids, August a bounty of the Perseids, and last month the Leonids made a dazzling appearance on our front porch. This unceasing parade of fiery meteors raises a question for me. How do the Magi we meet in Matthew know what they knew? How did they know the importance of a single star that they observed in its rising against the enormity of all the other options? What did you know and how did you know what you knew are two questions that hover above this great and ancient story from Matthew. In our minds, the Magi have long been in Jerusalem, but in the text today, they only appear after the birth of the Magi, 12 days. And it's long fascinated me that it was a trio of astrologers, stargazers, wise men, kings, who showed the whole world who Jesus is. Their craft existed before Moses and, handed, and had been handed down from the ancient Sumerians as early as 3500 B.C. Jews and Christians looked upon their craft with suspicion and viewed their work as deceptive, even dangerous. My mother was convinced that horoscopes were the work of the devil, but religiously, she read her horoscope every day, and if it warned her not to travel, she would not go so much as the groceries. <laughs> While the religious scholars and chief priests in Jerusalem knew that the scriptures promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, they never bothered to go and see. Instead, these strangers, following a single extraordinary star, are the ones who discovered Jesus for the entire world to see, and we are forever in their debt. This tale of the stargazers is told to us in the manner of an anti-establishment story, a peasant versus the king story, a story protesting abuses by the powerful against the powerless. Thankfully, these stories exist in every culture and every day, Early American colonists chafing under the heel of King George delighted in chanting, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty took a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Looking into Matthew, you can almost imagine the camel drovers gathered around the campfire, swapping stories, complaining about the weather, and savoring their hatred of King Herod. Matthew's story begins almost humorously. Magi come to Herod's city asking the way to the newborn king. But you don't go and ask the king, where is the king? That's just not done. But the whole city is thrown into chaos. Herod's throne is threatened. But Matthew's point to us is clear. There are two kings. There are two kingdoms, one of violence and one of peace. And violence may have a sword drawn against peace, but at every turn, Herod's attempts to destroy Jesus are foiled by the will of God. The Magi, we know, gathered their facts not from ancient texts, but from the natural phenomena around them. 
and by looking to the heavens above. And by looking above, they determined that something extraordinary was going on from how the stars moved and the constellations were arranged. It must have been something beyond an ordinary meteor shower that caught their attention. But exactly what it was, what the star was, and what it meant, well, it's all just a matter of conjecture. For after decades, thousands of years of endless speculation, we know nothing more than there was a star that appeared in the east. So for the Magi, it was a process of watching and waiting, of trial and error, or modifying and redirecting, of being willing to go in a new direction because of the heavenly roadmap. The cosmic tapestry didn't bring forth its navigation aids with the precision of GPS or with the voice of Siri always pinned to our ear. The wise men's long journey was probably full of wrong turns and detours and dead ends. It was full of wearisome travel days. Have you ever ridden a camel? We imagine that wayfinding would be easier for us today. Look at the information we have at our fingertips, just in the screen we have on our smartphones. As a teenager, I was told that God had a perfect plan for my life and that God wanted me to know each and every detail. I'd be told where to go to college, what career to pursue, what job offer to accept, which car to buy, which person to fall in love with. Everything would unscroll before my very eyes down to the smallest of details. I was to consult with the Lord on everything. But imagine this. Imagine stepping into a life, a Facebook life that was pre-posted before you came into this life. How awful. How deadly dull that would be. How devoid of meaning and purpose and imagination and joy. So it took a good while to dispense with this myth. First, I had to recognize that God was and is deeply concerned with the details and movements and relationships in my life. But a lot was being left up to me. I was responsible for looking up, for reading the landscape, for consulting with others around me, for developing ideas, for making decisions. Yes, for stopping and asking for directions. Mistakes, missteps, dead ends were part of the wayfinding. Using the tools that I had close at hand, seeking God's purpose and presence through the practice of prayer and being in community and worship and holy discernment, I had to start moving with my destination shaped by the kind of world and relationships that Jesus projected for all the world to know. It was time to begin moving. Many of us find ourselves stuck because we think we deserve more information. We think we're entitled to more instructions than the Magi had. Yet these holy stargazers were not afraid to start moving, to find themselves off course, to stop, to ask for help, to seek more information, and if necessary, to recalibrate their route. This was all part of the process, an aspect of being guided by the stars, 
of being led by a mystery that is out beyond reality. At first, it's really tempting to see the light shining in Isaiah's vision of the world as a lighthouse standing tall and brilliantly above the mist and murkiness of all of life. But the reality of the light about which Isaiah speaks did come into the world. It did come into the darkness. And Isaiah tells us that the world did not recognize him. Perhaps this light begins in just a small corner of the whole cosmos, winking suddenly in a patch of the dark sky that catches your eye, faintly but not really becoming clear until you stop and focus on it. If you'll take this tiny light out and put it on a table and bring some other candles and a few more lights out beside it and add a few mirrors, you quickly have the whole world on fire with the glory of God. And as they say, nations will come and gather at this light. I imagine that the light of the Lord that Isaiah knew was more a small flashlight than a giant searchlight. More a small welcome lamp, soft and warm and inviting than a giant bonfire, beckoning people from around the world to come, to journey toward it. And so it is that using signs and clues and stories, the people press on toward the one that we know to be the King of Kings. As Emily told us, Friday, January 6th is Epiphany this year, the twelfth day after the celebration of Christmas. And Epiphany is our focus this morning. Our word comes from a Greek word that simply means the appearing, the reckoning. Epiphany highlights God's self-disclosure, God's self-coming to us in Christ. And on this day we pay special attention to the visited movement of the Magi. For they take center stage after the mother and father and child begin to move off the focus. The essence of Epiphany comes to us in Timothy. And now, God has made everything plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. God broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news come to us this day. Epiphany is God's unveiling. It is God's full disclosure as a God of grace, justice, and mercy come to save the world and us as well. And I think the Magi are excellent traveling companions for us in this information-rich age in which we live. They are steady travelers for people living in fractious and uncertain political days. They are particularly good role models for us to pattern our lives on as we turn the page on one year and once again hold out hope for a new one. Our plans may be set, our goals may be fixed, but just as 2016 took many of us in a different direction, so will 2017. Our relationships may flourish or they may fall apart. Our options for work may expand or contract. The market may be kind to us or brutal. We don't know. Most of us will end the year in a different place in which we started. 
Now, lots of us know lots of bits and pieces of random facts about the Bible. We've assembled a haphazard picture of what God is like and who God is and what God does or doesn't do in the world today. We noticing songs of praise, we're well acquainted with sorrow. We have a few clutches of stories or parables that we hold on to. But we lack the lived day-to-day experience of the Magi. We know just enough to cry out in pain or offer a quick, thank you, Lord. But we don't know enough about the rich complexity of a life lived day by day and step by step, following the leading of a God who appears as a star. So today is the first Sunday of a new year. Once more, the star is rising in the east. And so equipped with the knowledge that we have, with a good GPS, and with the traveling companions that we've been given, just look around you. It's time to set out and to follow the star. For many years, I wrongly assumed that, assumed that wiser and more Christians just asked fewer questions. That in some undefined but mysterious ways, wise Christians just knew the answer. The wise people of faith could easily access the answer in the Bible, no matter how insignificant the question. And while speaking of questions, that was the one thing that real Christians would not have. So it's startling to see that the first visitors to the manger of Jesus are very likely Arabs. People who have little or no knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures and know nothing of Jewish prophecy, but they do possess an uncanny ability to read the movements of God and the stars and the heavens and are willing to follow. People who are willing to admit what they do not know. People who are willing to ask lots of questions. For both going and coming to Bethlehem, the Magi stop and ask for guidance, for feedback, for direction. They actively reflect on what is going on around them. They trust the knowledge they do have a handle on, but they do so with humility, recognizing that there's much they do not know. And advised to go home by another route, they pay attention and take the alternative route. They don't pretend they have everything figured out. They're willing to be led, to be directed, prodded and pressed in new directions. Mary Oliver, the poet, writes that I go back to my own house from time to time. I go back to my own life, which has now become much brighter and simpler. It becomes something I've not seen before. I think the Magi, in returning to their homes, saw everything more brightly and in their seeing enabled us to see as well. The light they had found in a distant land turned out to be the light at the heart of the core of life itself. And now they saw it for the first time. So shall we serve this light together, they asked. Shall we follow it into the dark places, we ask. Shall we move into the spaces where there's no hope and only despair? Then shall we make a response. Shall we bow to the light in one another and in all nations? For this is the light that is at the core of all of life.
in something else. The Magi weren't just willing to adjust their journey. They were very willing and quite capable of adjusting everything together. None of the stargazers goes on this journey as a solitary pilgrim. They choose to travel together with a few like-minded pilgrims. They tether themselves to finding out what does this thing mean, this star, this child? What does this mean? They collect their information. They pool their resources. They share their ideas. They set their waypoints in total agreement. They collaborate on wayfinding. They cannot imagine that a trek of this importance would be undertaken alone. But we do, frequently. Some of us, okay, many of us, set out alone. And many of us find it challenging to travel with others. We believe they're going to slow us down, hold us back, and prevent us from reaching our destiny, our destination, our appointed end. To this, an African proverb that almost all our mission partners quote to us repeatedly, if you want to go fast, travel alone. But if you want to go far, travel together. The Magi traveled far. They journeyed together. They asked questions. We are called to do the same, to show our community and the world that Christ, the light of the world, has come into our midst. Thanks be to God for this epiphany among us this day. Alleluia. Lord, we seek you. The world hopes for you. In this new year, guide us ever closer to your spirit. Be the star in our darkest night. Be present in the struggles and joys of humanity. Help us better work together in Jesus' name that we may help to heal the wounds of the world. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in war-torn countries. We pray for those who hold hatred and distrust in their hearts. Lord, bring us love. Bring us peace. God, we pray for our country the tension, the fear. Help us to place our trust in you above all things and act as Christ has called us. As we search through all the darkness to find your light, God, help us also spread light. Help us to be the best example of your love in a society that seems to have lost its way and strayed towards that which you do not teach. May we stretch out our arms to our brothers and sisters and neighbors, no matter their labels. May we rise above the language of hate and actions found on paths of lower roads and reach up for you in all we do and are. Lord, we also pray for our loved ones who are ill, weak, struggling, or who have given up. God, be with us and be in them. We pray for those in transitions of joy, for new babies born, new relationships forged, and new journeys being begun. God, be with them. All these things we pray in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.